to Enhance the UK's Undressing Disability podcast, where we strip back all things taboo on sex and disability. Today, I am talking to Sarah Dot from Queer ADHD. And before we carry on, actually, Sarah, where are you? Because you're not based in the UK, are you? No, I'm in California. You're the second person today uh, that I've spoken to that's in, a, in America. And um, I have to ask the very British question. What is the weather like, Sarah? Oh, it is gorgeous. Um, it's like 75 degrees and sunny right now. Uh, I really enjoy the Bay Area. I'm in San Francisco Bay Area. No one likes to show off. Can I just say that? <laughs> Nobody likes to show off. We want to hear about how amazing it is. It's it's and actually I have got a little bit of sun, but it's it's not like you know what you're experiencing right now. Um, so just to uh, introduce Sarah a little bit more, um, Sarah has set up coaching practice and resource center for, and I'm going to say say it all, LBGTQ. IA plus community. I got it all out. Are you proud of me? I'm so proud of you. (laughs) Thank you very very much. Um, So um, I really want to hand it over to you, Sarah. Can you just tell us a little bit about about yourself um, and probably explain a little bit about about ADHD in a little bit more detail? Sure. So I'm I'm Sarah Dopp, founder of Queer ADHD, uh, which is at queeradhd.com. I did a recent career pivot into ADHD coaching. It's actually new this year. And what I found immediately um, was that the community I wanted to serve, the queer LGBTQIA plus community, um, was really underserved on this topic. And so as soon as I put this domain name out there into the world, um, people started contacting me immediately for services. Even though I made it very clear on the website that I was brand new and didn't have a lot of experience, people were wanting to work with a queer person on this topic, even though this topic isn't inherently about being queer, but it does have some interesting parallels. Uh, ADHD is um, one of the simplest ways I've heard it put is that your brain is wired for interest rather than importance. So if you could assume that a neurotypical person is going to respond really well to what is important right now and go do it, an ADHD person needs that to be interesting before they can do it. If it's important to their boss or their teacher or their parent or their spouse, but not interesting to them, it feels almost impossible to do the thing. And so what we do in ADHD coaching is help people become more aware of how their brain works, come up with strategies to make sure that the important things do get done, make them interesting, or find a way to create more support around them, and help people generally just understand and accept themselves better. And that last part is so parallel to the experience of coming out as queer. So what I found in queer ADHD is that ADHD isn't really that different for queer people, but the context around it is different. The needs are different in terms of how you want to get support. And it's it's really beautiful to see the parallels and experience. And honestly, I think it gives us superpowers in dealing with ADHD because we can apply what we've already learned about accepting ourselves, advocating for ourselves to this new lens of our neurodivergent brains. That is probably one of the best descriptions I've ever heard about describing ADHD that is um because this is the thing you know certainly here when people talk about ADHD their mind goes to the naughty kid in the class really hyperactive and that's the only uh kind of impression that people have about ADHD and of course it's like a vastly complex thing um it can be different for many many people um and uh, people find that find that really confusing have you known for a long time that you've got ADHD? 
No, because my brother was the naughty kid in the class and we knew he did. So I couldn't possibly have it because I wasn't just like him. Um, there has been a shift in the understanding of ADHD in the last 10, 15, 20 years. It's been a, it's been a gradual shift, but but when I was growing up, I'm 37, when I was growing up, it was assumed to be just for children and probably just for boys and probably just for white boys, honestly, um, because we've prioritized certain groups in our culture. Um, so there's been a shift toward understanding that it doesn't just go away when you turn 18. <laughs> um, it stays with you in your life. And there's been a shift toward understanding that people who were socialized as girls represented it differently. We were taught to behave differently. We were given less permission to act out. We had more programming to be people pleasers. And so it just presented differently. And um, when I got formally diagnosed, um, there are there are two types of three types of recognized ADHD in the DSM, which is an American diagnostic manual. Um, I'm not actually sure how that manual is used in other countries. So my lens is, is entirely American. I need to preface that. Um, there's inattentive type, there's hyperactive type, and there's both combined. And most people are combined. And when I got diagnosed, I thought I was inattentive. And he said, no, you're combined. <laughs> and I was shocked because I didn't act like my brother, but he pointed out all of these stories that I told about impulse control and needing to move around. And it was clear, yeah, okay, I'm combined, I'm both. Um, I've lost track of the original question though. Where was I? <laughs> no, that's actually fine. I was so intently listening to you. Um, no, I asked about when you when you got diagnosed. I think that's what uh -huh. I asked you. Okay. Um, when, when you actually, yeah, when you actually got diagnosed, because uh, interestingly for me, three of my friends recently, and I'm 42 now, so my friends are in the same kind uh -huh. of age bracket, um, have been diagnosed, and you know, in their late 30s, early 40s, yeah. um, and right. it's and it's quite an emotional thing to go through for all of them. Yeah. Oh, so I can speak a little more to the timeline. So I was informally diagnosed in my early 20s. And then I was formally diagnosed in the last year um, because of the pandemic. And the informal diagnosis was a therapist and a learning disability specialist. I actually went to get tested if to see if I was dyslexic because I had difficulty reading. And the, the specialist that I went to see said, I don't think you have dyslexia because you're able to read when you're focused and interested, <laughs> but your eyes are bouncing all over the page if you're not engaged and you're struggling. And so um, we, we figured out that that was probably ADHD and it became just a thing that I was aware of in my life, but wasn't a really big issue. And then the pandemic hit. And it became a really big issue for me. And I, I needed to get more professional support and I needed to get a, a diagnosis on record. And so I went to get formally diagnosed and I was like, I'm inattentive, I'm not combined. And, and then we catch up to that story. So, yeah. And has it made any difference you having a formal diagnosis? What, what, you know, what's the benefit of that being, being a grown up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it gives me an explanation and a framework and a set of resources to understand myself better. And this is again, another parallel with coming out queer when you are isolated and alone and don't have models for other people being like you, you think there's something really, really wrong with you. And when you find out, oh no, you're just gay. <laughs> and there, here's what that looks like and can look like, and here's how it can be celebrated. Then all of a sudden there's this big, uh, sigh of relief. There's this moment of just like, okay, I belong. I just might not belong in the same model that I was told I was supposed to belong in. And it's it's okay to change the model of your life. Um, 
I'm going to apologize again. I've got a working memory and I've forgotten where I started in this question. That is, by the way, an ADHD symptom. <laughs> well, no, no, it's absolutely fine. I'm doing, Again, I'm just doing what I did before. I'm just listening to your answer. I think that um, it's really... It's really interesting because a lot of the people that um, that, that I know, like I said, have had this diagnosis. And I, and I think my, my question was, what's the benefit of that? Mm, yeah. um, and, and I guess it's this this sense of understanding your brain, um, why you work, why it works in, in a different way. Um, and I think certainly from my point of view, growing up, um, I always uh, felt like I haven't got ADHD, but it's only very recently um, I, w- I was diagnosed with dyslexia, mm. but even even at the age of I think forty two, I said I was reading about dyscalculia, and I was like, "That's me, that's me, a hundred percent, that's me." Yeah. But growing up in the in the eighties, uh, that there just wasn't the resources. I don't believe to. I think I would have been treated very differently going to school mm-hmm. if I if yeah. I was girl now. Um, but this right real sense of just feeling stupid and thinking academia equals intelligent equals being able to understand x y and z it's certainly something I've battled with all all of my life um and understanding um, what that feels like comparing yourself constantly but Mm -hmm. the I think it's this sense of kind of belonging so for you um you talked about then identifying as queer is that something another kind of journey that you have to kind of go through yeah, um, definitely. And I am, uh, I, let's see, my my full list of identities in that space are um, androgynous, uh, bisexual, queer. I am not a lesbian um, and I am not currently non-identifying as non-binary, although that may change. Um, <laughs> and I'm not trans. So, uh, you know, when I, I look at the acronym B has always been in there and I've always struggled with whether or not I'm queer enough to be in queer spaces, but my presentation has always been queer and that has helped me feel more like myself. Um, I was raised in a family that believed that gay and lesbian was fine, but bisexual didn't exist. So I really struggled with understanding my attractions and my internal sense of self. And it didn't really make sense until I got to college and saw that bisexuality was pretty freaking normal. <laughs> um, and that it didn't have to be considered a phase. And I, I also, um, with my gender presentation, I have a shaved head and I have always preferred to express my gender androgynously. So I, um, you know, prior to Queer ADHD, one of the projects I'm most known for was a blog called Gender Fork. And I created a photo a day blog to explore androgyny because I was trying to make sense of my own presentation. I never felt like I looked good. I felt like I couldn't choose clothing or style that expressed anything about myself because I didn't fit any models that I could find. And then I noticed that androgyny was kind of a thing that didn't have to be a dirty, bad word and started to explore the fashion of it and really connected with it and thought it was amazing. So I created a photo a day blog and it very strangely quickly evolved into a coming out space. It became a place where people were saying, oh yeah, this is my presentation too. And then it became not just about fashion, but about internal identity. And so I created the opportunity for people to express anonymously how they were feeling about gender. And we found a lot of non-binary people that were closeted and trans people that were closeted and people who were early on in their coming out process and in this androgynous space needing to find self-acceptance. And this blog ran for over 10 years and had often two to three posts a day 
representing a different human being. So that was thousands of people that we represented, mostly through submissions and people who wanted to be represented. And holding that um, expression was a huge honor. It was humbling. It was a privilege. And I, I felt like a steward. It hadn't. It had gone beyond my own identity, and it was something that I could really care for and protect and support and develop. And so, as I'm approaching queer ADHD, I'm taking that experience with me, and I know that that my biggest goal is to create community, not just one-on-one -on -one individual coaching, but group resources, content that represents not just my story, which is a very interesting story, but a very frankly, privileged story. I'm very white and I come from an economically privileged background, um, which is why I'm able to run a business like this. But um, I want to represent a much broader view of our community and help people find their stories in each other and find resources and ex um, education in this context where they feel most comfortable. Wow, your blog sounds absolutely amazing. That's a really long time, 10 years to run. Yeah, it was it was phenomenal. <laughs> it was uh, 2007 to um, 2018, I think. I bet when you started, you could never have imagined. No, it would take a life of its own like that. That's absolutely not. Yeah. Um, I and like, why do you think that people? And this is a very obvious question that I'm asking you here, really. Um, but but you know, so some people might listen and say, well, why can't you just accept? you are why do you feel you need to have a community and and be part of something and have to identify and and have to have a label um yeah. why why is that why is that important for people to have well, not everybody obviously but for a lot of people yeah people who ask that question tend to have a background of already belonging to the labels that were assigned to them <laughs> and not understanding the experience of looking at the labels that were placed on them and saying wow this this isn't right. And I don't know what to do about it. And I don't know how to tell you that this isn't right. And I think because you think it's right and you've been telling me my whole worldview, I'm probably talking to parents right now. Um, like I must be wrong. There must be something wrong with me. And when we find the label that fits us, suddenly there's not something wrong with me anymore. ADHD has disorder. It's attention deficit hyperactive disorder. And um, there's a lot of shift right now toward seeing it as a difference rather than a disorder, um, something that is just unsupported by the world. And that if we live our lives in alignment with the way our brains want to work, it doesn't feel like a disorder anymore. It can even feel like a superpower. Um, once again, I've lost the original question though. <laughs> no, no, it's okay. it, I think really I was talking about, you know, why do people feel the need to, to kind of have labels? And I, uh -huh. I, I, I was uh, on a podcast uh, a while ago with um, somebody also called Sarah um, and she said I have three labels um, I am blind uh, um, and a, a, a lesbian and transgender and the absolutely brilliant analogy she said was I was running away I was constantly running away um, she has absolutely no sight now and she, I was running away I was frightened all the time and I decided to stop and mm -hmm. I decided to let the tidal wave go over me and see what happened and this and I could just envisage this it was such a visual explanation and you know and she said I you know I'm not I'm still here I haven't drowned and and and, and look at me now um and very happily married to her wife and you know living living a fantastic life 
in comparison to how she felt before, just running away, running away constantly. Yeah. And I think for her, that's what labels have done for her, have given her reclaimed the identity um, of hiding, of being scared, of being ashamed of, of you know who she who she was. So so tell us about. Tell us about um, your practice. What what what's your big vision? What what would you like to see happen with this? It sounds really exciting. Yeah, my big vision is um, to strengthen the ecosystem overall for this intersection of identities, um, queer and ADHD. I want um, I want to inspire more people to become coaches because, frankly, the need cannot be met by me. Um, it is too big, and I see that immediately. So. I'm hoping to create. Um, I'm hoping to create some infrastructure that can support other coaches as well. My goal is to connect community with these support methods. So, um, actually, we're launching uh, group sessions very soon. Uh, I've just announced it, and uh, they'll probably be live by the time this airs. And the goal for that is to allow people to learn about their ADHD together, get group coaching together, support each other together, see each other in each other, see themselves in each other. And I'm really hoping to build that into something that could have unlimited size. Like I'm trying to design it so that I could bring in other coaches to lead the sessions and bring in other people from the community to be moderators um, in whatever format is important. Uh, one thing that's important about ADHD is that we, the way we learn really matters. I'm an auditory learner. Some people are very visual learners. Some people are very kinesthetic, um, tactile, conceptual, intuitive. Like there's lots of different ways that you process information. And the, the ways that we're starting are with Zoom sessions. So people who ask for coaching are people that learn well through a conversation. That's kind of a self-selecting thing. If they learn great through a book, they're probably not asking for a coach. They're probably just learning through a book. So we're trying to create resources that support the many different ways that people learn. And conversations is just one of those ways. And I'm hoping, um, I'm hoping to really tap into a lot of different opportunities uh, in the space of accessibility, like lots of different modalities, lots of different translations into different formats, audio, visual, um, make it really easy to find and access and not let the way you learn or any impairments in your senses get in the way of your ability to access this. And do you have to identify as queer to be part of the community? Currently, yes. <laughs> um, or, well, you have to be somewhere in the LGBTQIA plus dot, 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 um, alphabet soup acronym. Uh, just, just that you have, um, differences in your gender and sexuality that that are unique uh, from the mainstream and important to your identity. The reason for this is because that that is the that is the main draw for this practice to the people who have expressed interest in it so far is to create the community of ourselves. And so we're asking that allies who are, you know, really love queer people, but don't identify as queer themselves, that they leave this space um, specifically for us. How, that being said, we identify, we um, define queer very, very broadly. And if you call yourself queer, that's fine. That's good enough for us. <laughs> yeah, it's not, it's not a test. You've got, no, to not do, a test. you've got to do a queer exam before yeah. you're allowed. Well, and the same thing is with ADHD. You don't have to have a diagnosis. You don't even have to be sure that you have ADHD. You just need to identify with the list of symptoms enough that you believe that the kind of support we would offer for someone with ADHD would help you. That's enough. We don't need you to get it on paper. 
I think, well, I mean, if your blog is anything to go by, I think this is going to be hugely successful um, and obviously, you know, really needed by people. And there is a sense of um, wanting to belong. And even if you're not taking part, you know, I'm really active just being able to sit back. And I think that's, you know, people go at their own pace, don't they? Sit back, read take on board, see what other people are saying, maybe on forums or whatever, and build their confidence up slowly to then be able to say, right, okay. And maybe that's all that's all the support somebody needs sometimes, just to know that they're not alone. Yeah, absolutely. Well, um, you know, is there anything else that you want to promote or or share? Or if people want to get get in touch with you, how do they go about doing that? What's the best way? Um, yeah, sure. So we're uh, at queeradhd.com. Um, you can reach out to me through that site. Um, the biggest resource that I have available right now is group sessions, uh, which um, people can sign up for as many sessions as they want. There's no commitment. Many many group coaching programs require a start date and end date, continued commitment. We're designing this to be flexible for wherever you are. Um, there is a price to it, but we are also uh, happy to offer whatever price you are comfortable paying. If you can't meet it, we're going to have a limited number of those based on how many people require it. And uh, we're, we're aiming to add as many slots as necessary time slots for these sessions um, over time as people express interest and join it. So that's, that's our biggest offer right now. The other one that we're working on is building a, um, a method of creating community content that represents the people in our space. And those people don't need to be people that are attending group sessions. So if you're somebody that isn't ready to ask for group sessions, but wants to be given the opportunity to speak about your experience as a queer person with ADHD, my suggestion is that you join our newsletter because our um, the project that we're working on is to start asking questions every week through surveys and the newsletter so that you can give us your experience. And those experiences can become quotes in our content, which can be broadcast and help other people feel less alone. That's our biggest goal right now. So, yeah. I'm very excited for you. It sounds absolutely fantastic. And and obviously being kind of, you know, virtual and online, people from all around the world can can join and, and take part. Absolutely. And as we're designing the group sessions, I'm trying to keep in mind that it should be accessible in California, New York, London and Sydney. And if I can get three out of four of those on every time, I, it's very rare to be able to get four out of four of those in a reasonable time. <laughs> but I believe that if I can hit all of that, in some of the sessions, um, then then probably the whole world can access it. And that's that's my hope. <laughs> well, we will certainly be sharing anything that you want us to share through our networks. And I don't know if you've already joined our Undressing Disability Hub, um, but if you haven't, I will invite you to, to join um, and create your profile. And, and any of our, our listeners can go on there as well. It's a, it's a free service. And you can go on there. We're calling it the sexy little sibling to LinkedIn. It's quite a slick name that we were quite proud of that. Um, so and, and people can join in. And then, Sarah, you can share any information on there for free. And people can find out what Sarah is doing. And this podcast as well will be um, sent out. And people get news, uh, uh, weekly newsletters with everything that's coming on. So it's free, 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 all things sex and disability. So I really encourage people. Um, but I, can I just say, I know how busy you are. I really appreciate you coming and joining me on the podcast today. Thank you so much, even though I'm quite dull. 
of uh, your day of how beautiful and sunny it is are you are you going are you going out and about or are you are you home working today I have a commitment to going for walks multiple times a day, every day, because I've been housebound for a year because of the pandemic. So I will definitely get out and see more of the sun. Thank you so much for inviting me onto this podcast. It's really been a delight to talk to you and to learn more about your programs. And I will absolutely get onto that hub. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks for listening. For more information or to have a chat with us, please visit enhancetheuk.org. From there, you can also sign up to our Undressing Disability Hub, a platform for professionals to connect and collaborate in the arena of sex and disability.